you know, you want to engage with these colonial institutions because you can, like, gain some benefits, but you don't want to prop them up. And so, like, how do you navigate that? And, and I, I think that's just in asking that question is a really important first step. You're listening to Beyond the Jargon, a conversation with graduate students about their research journeys at the University of Victoria. I'm your host, Liz MacArthur. Joining me in the studio today is Kelsey Lavoie, who is a law student here at UVic. So thank you for joining me today. Absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about how you uh, came to law school. You did an arts degree before. Why did you choose law school and what brought you here? Oh, you know, I don't really remember. (laughs) (laughs) It was a while ago when I first started thinking about it. Um, I don't think it was entirely rational. So the the process of like coming to it was sort of like an intuitive thing almost. Yeah, I think I think maybe the straw that broke the camel's back that brought me to law school was doing work um, in Red Deer, which is uh, in the prairies over there. Um, and I was working with the uh, Central Alberta AIDS Network as a support worker for people who have HIV. And I was, it, so it was sort of like a social work kind of position, um, kind of looking at doing education around HIV and um, helping people who have HIV get to doctor's appointments and access resources, navigate the healthcare system. Um, was sort of like, that's sort of the job description. What it often ended up looking like was a lot of learning on my part about how how our legal system shapes our culture and how that culture shapes our lives and as it stands right now in really unhealthy ways and really like counterproductive ways. So I was doing that right around the time that the uh, court cases were coming out about consent um, Hmm. where someone who was HIV positive had sex with someone who wasn't and didn't tell them. There was a few different situations, but this was one of them. Um, Didn't tell the other person, but their viral levels were really low and so weren't really contagious um, in a scientific sense. In a scientific sense. And so the question was, the person consented to sex, but they didn't consent to having sex with someone who was positive. Um, So is that really consent? And so it was this whole like legal discussion about HIV and... um, and seeing how that shaped the lives of people who are living with HIV was really mind-blowing. Like to see how, I don't know how to say it exactly, but to see how those court judgments, which are very much based on fear, fear of the spread of HIV, fear of death, fear of um, that which we don't really understand, all of these fears shaping these court decisions, and then those court decisions shaping law, which which is a matter of like what is legal and what isn't legal, but it's also like how we understand morality and how we relate to each other. And um, yeah, I I remember someone coming in who had just been recently diagnosed as being HIV positive and he was so scared that no one would ever like hug him again. Mm. And 
how seeing how like that affected him and how um that affected his like way of relating to others and actually making this social fabric like less safe by creating these like situations of intense volatility and, and judgment and fear and all these sorts of things and of course that's like not necessary <laughs> at all so seeing that and then thinking about how law shapes that and feeling really resentful about that and wanting to challenge it hmm. yeah <laughs> <laughs> that you decided to go to law school yeah right um and then you wound up here in Victoria. How did you wind up in Victoria? I had lived in Victoria before and felt that it was a place that um, was relatively nurturing and feeling like law school was going to be pretty hostile. Um, I figured that this would be a good place to do it so I could have some. And I, I, I had some friends here who I knew would help support me and get me through. And they have. And it's and it's just the fact that like winters are a little shorter than they are in Red Deer in Calgary, and yeah. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Has law style, has law school been hostile as you thought it might be, and has Victoria been nurturing? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> yeah, yep. I'd say yes to both those. Hmm. Yeah. How is law school hostile? Um. Well, <laughs> <laughs> the laughter's like anxious laughter of like, oh, what am I gonna say? Because <laughs> I could say lots of things. Um, but I think I think what's at the crux of the hostility in my experience is the um, elitism that it perpetuates, which goes back to the question of like, why is law school special? And it's because we are taught as law students that we are becoming something very special and that being a lawyer is um, a really important and valuable role in society and um, maybe more important and more valuable than others. And that's why I think some people who become lawyers tend to be a little uh, self-righteous and why there's so many jokes about lawyers, um, such as, how do you know you've met a lawyer at a party? I don't know. Don't worry, they'll tell you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I think those jokes are great because they help keep me humble because I I've, I see that in myself. Like I have, I'm in being in law school, I, I am like learning skills and gaining access to knowledge and gaining access to certain forms of power and privilege that I didn't have before. And that's hostile because it it's a very... It, it it makes it does weird things to my mind. Um, so after during my first year of law school, I got pretty depressed. I'd I'd say um, or like definitely like pressed down upon, like weighed down on. Hmm. And I think it's part of the experience of um, feeling like this this weight of this responsibility, and like it's it's a lot of pressure to be up high in the hierarchy, right? And some people, well, people deal with that in all sorts of different ways. Um, but I think what it comes down to is that it's not healthy for anybody. And and it's not accurate because people, like, like looking at colonization, looking at poverty, looking at racism, looking at all these different 
systems of injustice that are at play in our society. Um, everyone is well positioned to do something about them, not just lawyers. And like UVic Law is a very progressive law school. Um, and I really appreciate it for that. I appreciate lots of the people I've met there and the different spaces that are held for for alternative ways of thinking about law. Um, and it also means that there's like a very strong like pressure to become like an activist and to do that through law. And I think that that's potentially detrimental to those who undertake that path because it's easy to forget that there's other ways to be and quote-unquote activist, or to be an agent of, of a healthy societal transformation. And the law often doesn't work. Often it's very counterproductive. So if, if you become committed to that path of like seeking societal change through law, I think it can, it can really n narrow how a person thinks about change and can be really depressing because if it's if you like put all your energy into this one venue and then it doesn't work which it often doesn't then you start to think that nothing's going to work and you get really sad and then you drop out for a year and then you like move to the north end of the island and oh <laughs> like hypothetically speaking <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> okay wait let's talk a little bit about this did you drop out for a year and move to the north end of the island and write poetry i did yeah right yeah <laughs> <laughs> what was that year like and what did you gain from it? You obviously came back. What mm -hmm. happened? Well, it's so yeah, I moved to Port Hardy for a year. Mm -hmm. Well, for the for the winter, which is the best time of year to be up there. No, no. <laughs> yeah. I've been to Port Hardy. <laughs> <laughs> it's very it's like it's gray and rainy like Victoria, but like a bit colder. So and a bit less people, which felt great because at that point after doing my first year of law, I was pretty tired of people and and the idea of society I was I was kind of I was kind of done with that for for that moment and so moving to Port Hardy was a very good change um and then I got lonely and came back did you come back with the intention to return to law school or did you just come back with the intention to reconnect with humans <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think both hmm. I think in wanting to reconnect with humans, I realized that that means reconnecting with law in one form or another. And um, yeah, law school continued to feel like something that I wanted to do. And since coming back, I still have, I still have those experiences of wanting to give up and wanting to abandon society. But I became a part-time student, which really helped. It means that I'm doing other things with my time, like hanging out at CFUV, right? Um, and doing these, engaging in these other forms of, like what I was saying before, but like different avenues of of engaging with the world around me. When I was just engaging with the world around me through this idea of law, that's what kind of messed with me and broke my heart and broke my mind. But in doing these, in, in being part of the campus community radio station or volunteering at the, at the community-run uh, bookstore and info shop, Camus Books, and, and doing these other, other things and engaging with the world in other ways, it's much more balanced and I'm able to do law school without having that narrowing experience that is really depressing. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you talked about how... Um 
the pressure to become an activist through law can be really detrimental to the kinds of, I guess, processes that activists would engage in. Is that because there be, there's like a reliance then on the legal process as the be all and end all, and if nothing else, if it doesn't work, then nothing else will? Mm-hmm. I think people probably could relate to that, if even if they aren't activists, thinking, well, yeah, the legal process would be like the ultimate fix if you can get the law fixed to help mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about what you mean when you say that, how about that detrimental effect, and what other methods do you think would it deter people from pursuing if the law fails them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good that's a good question. There's many. Many legal scholars who who write about this, and, and then like legal scholars and sociologists and anthropologists who look at how the legal system, um, once you start putting energy into it, it's it's not like inherently a problem, but it's important to watch for the ways that you're propping up a system that you don't like, and and like you see this a lot, especially coming from like radical anti-colonial indigenous scholars. Um, who are talking about how, you know, you want to engage with these colonial institutions because you can, like, gain some benefits, but you don't want to prop them up. And so, like, how do you navigate that? And and I I think that's just in asking that question is a really important first step. Um, But it, yeah, it takes energy. It It takes energy, it takes resources, it takes thinking power. And so... It, you might not be able to be as creative in thinking about alternatives, um, which is why, like, we, why we need community and why we want diversity of tactics and why we want to have artists and teachers and farmers and all of these different people doing different things to remind that there's there's lots of different ways to engage. And your question of like, what are some of the other what are some of the other things that focusing on law might detract from? Like it's it's those things that have different kinds of power, like the the power of a law degree and being called to the bar and being a lawyer is a certain kind of power. Um, and there's so many other kinds of power that come from being able to relate to people and <laughs> being able to empathize and being able to grow food and being able to make music and to think creatively and to open minds and all of these other forms of power that are just as, if not more important, depending on the situation. Do you see yourself becoming like an activist, or maybe not becoming an activist, but using law in activism? Um, when you eventually finish law school? I see myself using law now in the sense that I have a different understanding of law. Like, there's state law, which is the law created through statutes and court judgments, Um, but there's also law of, like, social repercussions to my actions. Um, if If we can understand law as something that we all can be a part of creating and shaping, then, like, law. Law is the way that I relate to my roommate's dishes, <laughs> for example, or the way that we respond to strangers on the street. Like, there's different, there's all of these different ways to think about how we structure 
our social relationships in order to have some degree of order and predictability and justice. Um, so in that sense, law is everywhere. <laughs> and, and that's okay. That's not necessarily a bad thing, but it can be, especially when it's oppressive and silencing and is seen as being, when some are seen as having a monopoly on law. But we all have access to law. So it, it um, yeah, it does play into activism, you know, like this idea of, of um, well, yeah, what do you mean by activism? <laughs> I guess uh, maybe in the sense of w- what you're talking about, how, mm-hmm. how like the, there's an idea that you can be an activist, maybe you can affect some kind of social change through law. Specifically for you, do you think this will connect back to the work that you've been doing when you decided you wanted to become a lawyer? Yeah, I think so. Well, and I didn't decide I wanted to become a lawyer. Um, and I might, I like, I, I might not become a lawyer. Like having a law degree and being a lawyer, like there's a whole other. I can't even think about that without getting a little anxious. Um. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so when you decided you wanted to go to law school, <laughs> right, right, right. and that's an important distinction because yeah. when you said you told or you said that you or you you decided you wanted to go to law school, to me, I immediately thought, okay, and then become a lawyer. Mm. But yeah, there is that extra being called to the bar and yeah mm-hmm. yeah and doing articling and the bar exams and stuff um <laughs> yes it absolutely relates back to the work that I was doing I mean it's it's the it's the so I I think a lot about like social fabric like I have dreams with lots of people in them and sometimes it's chaotic and really scary and and people aren't taking care of each other and that I think is what I what brought me to law school and what brought me to to think about how we institutionalize certain habits of relating to each other and how I I would like to see different habits of relating to each other. Hmm. Um, Yeah. And so whatever, and I don't know how that's going to look, but um, I imagine it will, it will definitely relate to, um, yeah, specifically how the dominant culture thinks about illness and health and sexuality and those things all together. Um, yeah, which I seem to, I seem to care a lot about. So it'll probably have something to do with that. Hmm. Yeah. The work that you were doing in Red Deer, was that, uh, was that like a specific career trajectory that you were on that law school kind of ties into? Or was that um, like a job where you're just sort of feeling out, is this what I want to do? Is this what I want to be doing with my life? Yeah, I've never really had a clear sense of what I want to be doing with my life. So at the time it was a a job that I thought was worth doing. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I don't, yeah, I've never really had a clear trajectory. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But you're interested in health and law and how those things interact. What did you do your undergrad degree in? Uh, sociology. Okay. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Um, and what made you decide to go, well, I guess sociology, I guess I was thinking like well, maybe like something like medical school would be interesting as well. But I guess if you're more interested in the fabric of society, it makes yeah. sense to do this. Yeah. So do you think that you would return to Alberta or do you have any plans for once you're finished law school where you want to go? Port Hardy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe just for a break or something. Right. Um, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have I have an idea of maybe 
traveling in kind of a seasonal pattern. I do miss I do miss the prairies. I miss my, I have family in Red Deer and Edmonton in Calgary. Um, so maybe spending like the fall there and then spending like late winter, spring somewhere on the coast and then the summer somewhere up north. Yeah, mm. I don't. Yeah, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> yeah. I want to go back a little bit and talk about uh, you mentioned that UVic Law School is progressive. And in what way do you mean? I know that there is sort of uh, indigenous legal stream right now. Are there other things that are going on there that make it progressive per se? <laughs> well, apparently one of the things that makes it progressive is the fact that um, our library doesn't have detectors that go off if someone's taking a book. I guess at some law schools, like at, at the University of Toronto, students will intentionally try to sabotage each other by taking either like ripping pages out of books or uh, taking reserve materials out of the library so other students can't access them. Um, yeah, these really like wow. intensely competitive kind <laughs> of things don't happen at UVic Law. Uh, so that's one of the ways. And and we do talk about that. Like it's the, there is efforts to make it more collaborative and community oriented. It's still a law school though. And people are still trying to get hired and that's a competitive process. So the, the competitiveness is necessarily there, but mm -hmm. there are efforts um, that the faculty and administration make to, uh, to make things a little more friendly. Um, sometimes that can be deceiving because there still is um, shitty things that happen in the school. Um, and because there's this like culture of like, oh no, we're just one big family, it's almost harder to talk about those shitty things. Mm. But I think, I mean, after having been there for for two and a half years, it's, I think it's, and talking to people who, friends who've gone to other law schools, that that is a diff definite difference is that it is, it is more supportive. Um, yeah, being able to do part-time, being able to do summer classes, these sorts of things. Mm. In terms of the, the content of what's taught, there is, um, yeah, there's some amazing professors and other people doing work around um, like Aboriginal law as well as Indigenous legal traditions. So Aboriginal law being the way that the Canadian state tries to assert its sovereignty over Indigenous people. Um, so looking at that and looking at ways to navigate that, but also looking at non-statist legal traditions of the people Indigenous to this land and um, looking at ways to to honour those and to... Um, honor their sovereignty is and it's very cool like we've got uh, Val Napoleon and John Burroughs doing that work and um, students also who are doing that work it's it's really it's really inspiring and it goes back to the the diversity of tactics sort of thing like you can the classes I've taken that look at indigenous legal tradition legal traditions have really helped me stay in law school because it's this reminder of like, yeah, there are other ways to structure a legal order. It doesn't have to be hierarchical and elitist and oppressive. Law can be empowering. It can be, um, it can help foster healthy relationships. Like law doesn't have to be the way that it is currently. Mm. And that's, that's very, 
refreshing (laughs) and good to know. (laughs) Yeah. When you talk about how law doesn't have to be hierarchical or, you know, oppressive, um, can you give me an example of what that would look like? Not being hierarchical and oppressive? Mm -hmm. Or like an alternative to that? Mm -hmm. Um, So I recently started volunteering with um, the, like the pro bono students group um, on campus and one of the things that we're doing is acting as advocates in um, mental health review board hearings. So when people are involuntarily committed in uh, psychiatric hospitals, they can challenge that decision. So it's a doctor's decision and the person being committed can challenge that decision and it'll go to a review board. Um, in some provinces, you can get legal aid to hire a lawyer to represent you during that board. In BC, you can't. Um, so they end up coming to the the UVic uh, students pro bono group and getting somewhat trained law students to represent them. Um, so I acted as an advocate during one of those hearings. And so this is an example of how it's hierarchical. Um, the person who was being committed, they weren't a, a risk to anyone other than themselves. So they were deemed to be suicidal. And so it was for their own sake, they were being committed against their will. So it was this like, we were the advocates and the doctors and the, the review board. We were all there because we cared about this person. There wasn't anyone else's health at risk. Nonetheless, it was very... Um, adversarial and the the expertise of the doctor was seen as being the most important and um, the perspective of the person who was being committed was dismissed because uh, he had a diagnosis of a mental illness and so all of these things meant that what he wanted didn't matter and for his own good, he was being institutionalized. Um, so another way to navigate that kind of situation would be to look at what that person needs and wants and um, look at how, like, if all of those people in that room who were trying to make this decision for the person being committed, if if instead we were directing our efforts to looking at how we as a community could support him and respond to his his own desires, I think the outcome would look much much differently. And you can you can see that in from my perspective at least of how um, indigenous communities have responded to people who, for whatever reason, whether it be to uh, be a result of like the pressures of colonization or um, illness or whatever else, people who become dangerous to themselves or others, how we respond. Um, is, it, is it about fixing what's wrong within that person or is it about looking at the, the social fabric around them and seeing how that can change to better hold them? Um, and I think I think you can see that happening a bit with like 
different radical mental health efforts that that seek to empower people um, and empower each other and and not have it be about like these experts who know what's best for everybody else because that can cause mental illness <laughs> to have that kind of power dy- dynamic at play that can that can lead people to be dangerous to themselves and to others hmm. yeah by having like their own sort of power taken away from them in that way mm-hmm. Hmm. Mm-hmm. interesting can you tell me a little bit about the pro bono legal project that you work on um and how like how did you come involved and you do you do this on a regular basis you work with uh with people I just did it the once and it was so um intense and frustrating that I haven't been able to get myself to do it again yeah Hmm. like I'm I'm still getting the requests um but I haven't been able to work myself up to do it wow that says a lot about the process (laughs) yeah well and they even tell us during the training they're like you'll rarely actually win um one in eight maybe one in nine will actually succeed in challenging a committal it kind of just feels like a token a token process Um, and it's interesting because in criminal law when someone's liberty is at stake there's all of these like due process kind of things like if if you are being charged with a criminal offense and there's a chance that you're going to go to jail then you can get legal aid and you'll have a lawyer in this situation your liberty is definitely at stake. There's a risk that you're going to be institutionalized and forced to take some sort of pharmaceutical against your will. Um, and there isn't that due process. There isn't the legal aid that will get you a lawyer who will be your advocate. Um, so it feels very much like a token gesture to have uh, the pro bono students there doing that. And that feels really awful. Like I've never felt like such a cog in the wheel as when I was doing that. Yeah, and I, I'd like to. I'd like to try, and I hope to someday like <laughs> fortify myself enough to try it again. Because I only did it the once, and I'd like to, I'd like to have a better sense of how it could go. I think I could have done a better job, but I'm not actually sure that I could have, or that it would have made a difference. Because the system is definitely the cards are certainly stacked in a certain direction mm-hmm. in those cases. So I guess my last question is, how much longer do you have of law school? Uh, just this term and then next term, and then I'm seemingly done. <laughs> <laughs> and then you decide your next steps, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Kelsey, thank you so much for being my guest. Yeah, thank you. Thank you.